1: They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: You're listening to Justice with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In the series of Justice, we will explore the experiences of mothers in the justice system, from women who enter prison pregnant and give birth inside, to those who are separated from their children for imprisonment and involvement from social services. Each episode, I'll be speaking to expert guests and exploring what needs to change. In this episode, we focus on a vital topic, the experiences and voices of children affected by maternal imprisonment we hear that so often children are kept in the dark about what is happening or their views and wishes are overlooked. This episode contains the voices of children who have been affected, alongside professionals, working to improve the support available. We spoke to Fahana Ahmed, who reflected on the lack of communication with her and her sister when her mother was sentenced to prison.
3: I feel like because we're children, we're not heard and... And our mum went to prison, it was it was like, okay, like this is what's happening, but we had to find out ourselves, and that was the worst part of it. Like we found out last when my foster care and everyone else knew and we were just there because we're children. We're not meant to we're not meant to know what's going on, and it was just so secretive. It's like we don't have a say in it, and it's that's the worst thing about it. Like maybe I was quite young, but I understand to a certain extent, and so do most children. My sister was Three years younger than me I did when it was that time she was the voice for me because I was um at a point in my life that I had enough of no one listening, no one understanding or someone just to sit there and listen to what i what I want to say that she was she was basically my role model, even though she was younger, she didn't understand as much as I did she was the one speaking because I just I got to the point where I was like, do you know what whatever happens, happens. Like, I don't care anymore because I just feel like this is my case. I should be the main person, but no one's there. No one's there to support us. We have no support. And I gave up that my little sister was was the person speaking on my behalf. I, I just became mute and I just didn't say anything. I just kept myself to myself. Like when I had social workers and legal guardians coming i would just keep my head down and not speak and my sister would do all the speaking for me because I just got to the point like what's the point anymore I just feel like like, there's, like I just gave up I think mentally as well it was really quite depressing my foster carers found out stuff beforehand like I know this is bad but like I'd ha- I'd hear them on the phone when I was upstairs in my room and I'd hear them be they're on the phone talking, and I'm just eavesdropping because I can hear what's happening. I can hear what my foster care is saying, and I'm just like, okay, so I'm just thinking in my head, when do I find out what's happening or when I'm going to see my mum in prison? Like, we'd be the last people to know when we should be the first because that's our mum. It got so irritating and annoying that we, we spoke to so many people, but there's still nothing happened. And at the end of the day, children don't matter, apparently, and that's the sad bit about it.
2: We also heard from Tiff whose experiences strongly echoes for Hana's. She was not only kept in the dark, but also lied to about where her mother was.
4: When mum went to prison, no one told me anything. There was no communication at all between professionals and me. After about two years, I asked why I was in care and I was told that my mum was unwell and that was why she wasn't with us. During that time, me and my siblings were never even asked if I wanted to see mum. When my brother asked our foster care if we could go, he was told that it wasn't appropriate. Although we were young and we didn't know what had really happened to our mum, we wanted to see her, but that decision was taken from us. At the time, because we were in the care system, we had no communication from the prison, so it was hard to know what was really going on. I think that even if mum was in prison now, we still wouldn't be allowed to see her, even though we're older. Young people with parents in the criminal justice system need to be included in the decisions that are made by them. Having a parent in prison has a huge impact on your life, and so it's important for young people to have their voices heard. To young people with a mum in prison, I would say don't let others suppress your voice as you'll need to fight for your rights to your mum. I wish I had been supported to do this. How we
2: can make sure we hear the voices of children in all of this is something we have explored in previous podcast episodes. For example, we recently spoke to Sarah Beresford, Prison Reform Trust Associate, about the importance of asking children what they want.
5: My name's Sarah Beresford. I'm an associate of the Prison Reform Trust and I'm also a Churchill Fellow. So I'm being funded by the Churchill Fellowship to work really closely with the Prison Reform Trust uh, around child impact assessments for children with a mum in the criminal justice system.
2: Okay and could you elaborate on what the child impact assessment is and why we need them?
5: Yeah so I've worked for many years in the field of supporting children affected by imprisonment and I've been really aware for a long time that there. We've talked about we need to recognise children, we need to offer them support, but there hasn't really been anything concrete. I think there's often been a what does that mean question lurking in the air. So I um, com- I wrote a report for the Prison Reform Trust in 2019, I think, managed to check the date, 2018, 2019, around the impact of children with a mum in the criminal justice system. And it was really out of that that I thought, what does this mean when we're asking, we're making these recommendations for more support, we're saying children should be better recognised, but what would that look like? And it was one of the women in an approved premises here in Liverpool. She said, you know, you get victim impact statements, why don't you have child impact statements? And it just kind of set off a light bulb in my head of, yeah, we we need to have something that allows children to say how they're feeling But really importantly, to be part of decision making around any support they might need. Just on that, because I guess the differentiation of a
2: victim impact statement is that a child can still be the indirect victim of a victim. (laughs) Yeah. Are you following me? And so therefore they need their own separate impact statement. Is that right? So if their mother, for example, was the victim of domestic abuse, sometimes the child doesn't get recognised
5: at all. Exactly. And, you know, children of people in the criminal justice system are, are the hidden victims, if you like, of crimes that they haven't committed, but they pay a very heavy price for in being separated and particularly when it's mums you know that's a huge price to pay for children all the the grief and loss and and all of that and yet there's very little support and almost no recognition all the way along the journey nobody's asking the question what about the children what do the children need and this was my way of giving people a framework if you like to to do that to say well hang on a minute what about the children what's the impact been on them and what is it that they need so I got together with some children and young people because I'm a great believer of I can talk about people, but it's the people who've lived it themselves who really know it. So we got together and I said, what, what would that look like then? What is it you want people to ask you at the different stages? And we put together this really simple set of questions. They're open questions. We don't use any jargon. They're asking simply. And this came from the children and young people themselves. You know, how are you feeling and um, how are you doing? And they wanted those to be in really. They wanted those to be separate questions because they said, you know, I might be feeling really angry and upset and and missing mum, but actually doing okay. And a lot of them said to me, "I don't want people assuming that uh, everything's awful because of mum. I might be feeling upset." One girl said because the dog died, and she said, "I hate it when my teachers everything's referenced about mum being in prison, and it isn't always about that." So they wanted those questions to be in there, but separately. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, Are you coping? You know, how are you coping? And then, you know, what questions do you have? So just really asking, asking open questions. Is there anything? What support do you feel you need? What is it that who could help you and and what could they do? And I think often when we're working with children and young people, we fear questions like that in case they ask for a calms referral. You know, children and adolescent mental health and the kind of things that the children were saying to me was, I just want like an extra long phone call with my mum. I want to meet her in a room in the prison by myself because <laughs> I want to tell her something private. Or uh, one woman, young woman said to me, you know, I, I watched my mum being arrested and it was really difficult and traumatic and I wish that I had had an opportunity to speak to the police after that and tell them what that felt like for me. You know, so they're not the children, young people, are not asking for really high-end, complicated, expensive interventions, as important as those often are, they're wanting really deliverable, doable things that we should be doing <laughs> but if right. if we listen to them.
2: And then do you get to do the things that they want? So if they say, obviously, having a room to themselves in a prison on visits is probably impossible. So how do you
5: manage yeah. that? So that is a really good question, Edwina, because not all of the actions will be immediately deliverable. But I think what's really important is that children feel their voices are being heard and they can express what it is they need. So what we're looking at is who does the child impact assessment with children. And I might come back to that around giving them a choice in that. And then that person very much focusing on, on the actions, but written in the children's own words. And I think whatever children say that they want, we can at least say, do you know what, let's ask Let's ask and let's look at that. And I think the more we ask and the more we, prisons, hear that message. I was in um, at an event in Northern Ireland yesterday, and one of the prisons there has exactly that a, a separate, a small room where families can meet privately. Now, it's one room for a whole prison, but it's a start. And I think the more children are able to say, that's important to me, that's what I want, the more we we can start addressing those and I think we can be honest with children and say this may not happen but let's ask and it's really important that you've said that that's what you would like you know children are not you know they're intelligent they get it they know it's a big complicated system but it's the being listened to that's the bit I think is really key and I think the more we do encourage them to speak out and ask for things that should be deliverable the more we might have a slightly different justice system.
2: Back in April 2021, I spoke to Sarah Burrows on the Justice podcast about her charity Children Heard and Seen that supports children who have a parent in prison. These children often face stigma, isolation and trauma and have nowhere to go for help, which is what motivated Sarah to work in this field. Sarah shared some of the issues and solutions she believes are needed to ensure these children are heard and seen. So if we take a sort of an example of a couple, you've got maybe two children under the age of 10, the mother goes into prison and the child either remains with a family member or goes into care, right? And then at what point might you sort of pick up on those children or, or where do you sort of intersect in that kind of chronology of the story?
6: So one of the really difficult things... And setting up the charity initially was, who are these children and where are they? Because there isn't any mechanism to identify and support children. So we had to go out to schools and say, you know, this is what we're offering. Um, and it was primary schools mainly that, that identified children. Now it's parents themselves. Since speaking to Sarah
2: back in April 2021, there has been some progress in this area in the form of a new pilot project with the Thames Valley Violence Reduction Unit, Thames Valley Police and Children Heard and Seen, called Operation Paramount. First piloted in October 2021, it is currently live in Oxfordshire and Milton Keynes. Operation Paramount is a new process to identify children of a parent who is sent to prison, allowing a prompt offer of support for the whole family. Here, Sergeant Russ Massey from Thames Valley Police describes the project alongside Sarah and her colleague, Leanne.
7: So Operation Paramount is very simply a way for us to use data that's already available, use it in an innovative and unique way, but use that to identify and recognise young people who may need support and then put support in place to the family at the time that they need it the most. So throughout my career, I've seen numerous issues that I believe we could have actually prevented or we could provide a better support to if we'd known about them sooner. So Operation Paramount picks up the information of the adult entering the criminal justice system on the day that they enter. It then allows us to compare that data to other data sets we have from the police and other partners to recognise where those children are and then offer that support.
6: This piece of work that the police are doing will be groundbreaking in terms of if we can understand what the problem is, we can then understand what solutions need to be there. I think Operation Paramount is gonna be really
5: vital in these first steps in making that early identification. I think that families need to know really early on that there is something there for them, that somebody will be there for them. There's a real lack of faith in the people around them, the systems, the people they've met, the police they've met, the teachers they've met. And so we have to rebuild that and we have to make sure that they do see the police in a positive light.
7: So once we've used the data and Operation Paramount's kicked in and we've recognized where that child lives and who with, we then approach the family via telephone call and we ask if it's okay for us to come and see them. And we'll ask them whether they're happy for us to come in uniform or they want us not to be in uniform. And then we have local policing champions, Thames Valley police officers, who are child-centered, who understand these issues as well as I do. And we just visit the family. We go with kindness and we go with an offer of support. There's no pressure on the families whatsoever. We will not refer anyone to Children Heard and Seen or to any other agency unless the family have consented to that referral. So once the police have made an offer of support to a family, if it's accepted, we'll make that referral there and then, or we'll leave details for them to refer themselves. That's it. At that point, the police move away and children heard and seen do the amazing work that they do with that family. That's it for Operation Paramount. That's as involved as the police need to be.
6: I think it's really important that children are identified and supported, um, and that stops the sort of intergenerational harm that goes on by parental offending. There needs to be simple support, but there needs to be a support mechanism around for children, as well as the identification.
2: Fahana's interview really highlighted the vital importance of this support being in place and exactly what this should look like.
3: I'm Muslim and our social worker sent us to a Sikh household thinking they were Muslim. And see, you know, religion anyway, like there's like an issue with another religion and whatnot. And I was, when I, in that time I was wearing a hijab and because they saw me wearing a hijab, I was called names and it was, it was a very horrible experience being in that care. We had about six, seven social workers. I think obviously at the start you're explaining your story to the first one. And when it got to the seventh social worker, you just gave up, like, how many times do I have to explain my story then like they're very unreliable? They mm. say something and they're gonna call you and it never happens or they're gonna take you out and have a chat with you and see how everything's going. Or when you have those meetings in school and see how your progress is doing in school, like sometimes they never come and I just thought like my like my my teachers have no idea what's going on. They just know that they're coming to these meetings. They have no idea that I'm in foster care. And when it comes to like tutor time, I get these questions from my tutor. And it's just like, it's embarrassing. I don't want everyone in my class to know what's going on. School is a is a safe way for most children, isn't it? That's a place where they feel safe and they they mm-hmm. feel like they can talk to their teachers about anything. But... School wasn't safe for us. It wasn't a place where we can go and feel comfortable and talk to our teachers. There was no place that we felt safe or comfortable in to talk. There was, there was nowhere. I know how low depression you can get. you feel like oh, like I don't deserve to be here anymore? Like what's the point? Like you feel worthless. Like you're mm. in a home with strangers and like your mom's in prison. Like you feel worthless. But what I suggest is like. The, Every child should have access or be available to speak to someone like because feeling alone is is the worst depression you can have. Like nothing can top that. When you when you feel alone, like you have no one to speak to and it just sort of eats you alive.
2: The work of charities such as Children Heard and Seen seek to fill this gap where no support is available. Here, Sarah describes the services they provide.
6: We always try and do it from a sort of child-centred, child-focused, what works for that child, recognising that every child has unique and different feelings about their parent being in prison. But what goes all the way through is that sadness, shame, stigma, You know, that children, you know, are bullied at school, they suffer at school, people can be really unpleasant about their parent being in prison, you know, they won't think of you, they don't care about you. We've had cases of children having concrete blocks through their windows, feces through the door, being beaten up, watching their mother beaten up, I mean, really, really horrific stuff a child at school recently, you know, if my dad did that, I would kill myself that was going around in a WhatsApp group, beaten up by, you know, huge numbers of other children. Um, And that children really are suffering. And our support is to actually give them a safe space to talk about that trauma that they've experienced. You know, it could start from arrest, you know, being in the house, watching police officers come in watching what happens not being able to move not being able to go to their parent that you know they could be sleep at night woken up door smashed in police coming in you know parent arrested you know witnessing real trauma I mean one of the great things that we have is a mentoring scheme so what the mentoring is is a neutral person from outside the family home that can be there, For the child and our mentoring scheme is a year to 18 months once a week to see the child so it just gives the child someone to speak to outside the family home you know you go out and go for a walk go and do some activities together but it's a consistent adult for the child but because there is so many different mixed emotions you know in the house from from the remaining parent or the ex-partner siblings everyone's got different feelings and emotions
2: Right. And then so you do the
6: mentoring. Do you do group work as well? Tell me about that. We do the three bits. We do the one to one support, you know, that I have talked about and how to tell the child working through feelings and emotions with with the children. And group work is much more about children feeling different. Um, and the group work can have a, a focus on the parent being in prison or it cannot. It's about coming together as a shared experience and seeing other children and thinking they're normal like me.
4: At school in the classroom, I feel like I'm the only one who feels how I feel. It feels like I have a secret that I don't want anyone else to know. But then when I came to the group and met other children whose parents are also in prison, it makes it easier and I get to share my feelings and feel safe. When I'm at school and with my mates, I feel like I have to keep my feelings to myself because I don't want people to talk about me. When I'm in groups with other kids like me, I feel like I'm not alone. And when I speak to my one-to-one mentor, I know I'm safe to tell her my
6: feelings. When you have this, these fears and these anxieties, in some way you're different. You just need to be reassured. And the group work gives that. I mean, we had um, a Christmas party in a hall, and a boy of seven. When he left, it was the first time he'd come to anything. And when he left, his mother said to him, "You do realise everybody there had a mum or a dad in prison?" And she said he just burst into tears. He was just overwhelmed that actually it was really powerful for him to see that. And he'd been told at school not to say anything. He was told it was quote inappropriate by his head teacher. <laughs>
2: To conclude this episode, we'll hear again from Fahana. Better services for children with a mother in prison are essential. But as we have explored throughout this series, the vast majority of these mothers did not need to be in prison in the first place or separated from their children. Alternatives to custody should be funded and should be prioritised.
3: I just feel like, yeah, I feel like going straight to prison isn't the right thing. I feel that there should be like community centres and stuff to help to help them separating the children and mom is like the worst thing to do like if i could do anything to go back to my childhood with having my mom there i would i would do it like my mom's missed out on everything like my finishing school to college and like it's everything she's missed out on and like you can never get that time back
7: links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review, and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.